Going Linux, episode 344, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinks at gmail.com or leave us a message on our voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Welcome back, Bill. Hello, Larry. How was vacation? Uh, vacation was relaxing and very good. So, <laughs> uh, how's how's the new job going? Good, enjoying it quite a bit. Still got lots and lots and lots and lots of training, and uh -huh. I got lots of binders here. And yeah, it's great. I'm trying to sound a little more convincing that training okay. is great. <laughs> it's great. There we go. There you. Yeah, I know. It's it's a it's a really it has it's uh, rewarding moments and has some tough moments. But yes, I'm enjoying yep. it. This is kind of like a dream job for me. I've been wanting to do something oh, like this for a long time. So, and now I just have to learn everything and everything yeah. and read. I don't like yeah. reading. Uh, Wait a minute. Well, <laughs> uh, if if my my boss listens, I love reading. You know, uh, yeah, no, yeah. seriously, it's it's a fun job. Um, oh, that's good. I'm surprised we both remembered how to even record. We've been we've taken some time off. Yeah, yeah, I had to blow the dust off the recording equipment and everything. <laughs> it's it's sad. It's sad, but. Uh, <laughs> I had yeah, to readjust everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. And and with your new job comes a new schedule, so we've got to readjust the uh, recording day. And yeah, it's going to be uh, an adjustment all around. But as far as our listeners are concerned, you, you guys shouldn't really see or hear anything different. So Yeah, just blame it on me. Yeah, m moving along as normal. So, shall we get into our listener feedback? It's been a while, so we've got a lot. Cool. So, what is this I hear about uh, Ubuntu Mate? Oh, yes. Okay. So, we're recording this. What's the date today? The 22nd of April, 2018. And in a few days, Ubuntu Mate 1804 will be released. It's a long-term support from the Ubuntu Mate folks. And it has a new enhancement that I put in there. It is a new version of the Ubuntu Mate guide. And we'll have a nice. link in the show notes to a post that I put on the Ubuntu Mate community site with a description of what the guide is and what it does. Essentially, it is a, a manual inside of Ubuntu Mate for Ubuntu Mate. I know that's a little bit meta, but uh, yeah. So, you know, way back when, in, in the days of old, uh, software and computers came with manuals, right? On, you know, he, here's the power button and here's the uh, RS-232 port and, <laughs> you know, all, all that good stuff, right? 
yeah. and and here's all of the five uh, software applications that come with this version of this computer, right? And how to okay. use them, and you know, here's how you use uh, WordStar, and you know, all that stuff, right? <laughs> So okay. I'm going way back. WordStar. Wow. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, computers and software don't come with manuals anymore, so I thought I'd write one. And I did uh, for Ubuntu Mate. And as you can imagine, a lot of what is in the uh, the books that I've written found its way into the, uh, the Ubuntu Mate guide. But now, uh, when you install Ubuntu Mate, or even if you're running it from the live, um, uh, the, the live media, uh, if you go into the menus and go into the accessories category, you'll find Ubuntu Mate Guide in that list in the menu. And when you open it up, you will have a, a full manual on what is Ubuntu Mate, how do you use it, its basic applications, some tips and tricks, and a few other things. So it's it's uh, become a thing. Wow. So my question to you is, when did the heck did you have time to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I made some time. <laughs> yes, you just, I don't need to sleep to, for the next three days. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. No problem. All right. Hey, it's my so, way of giving back to the community, you know? Uh, I don't know about you, Larry. You probably sat there on, on vacation and wrote it. Nah. No? Nah, I you proofread should... it on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna get into the emails because uh yeah, yeah let's do just that make me let's do feel that. bad our first email comes from david who sent us an update from an email from a year ago mm -hmm. he writes i just bought a chromebook and absolutely love it with personal web-based financial software becoming more acceptable example personal credit and advanced brokerage web-based software, this bean counter is perfectly content with Chromebook, plus it is more secure. Still loving Linux, despite my cheap Chromebook running Android apps like Office, still some limitations. In my retirement future, no room for Windows. <laughs> thank, thank you both for all the work you do. When I wrote this, you explained the simplicity of Chrome. Now I get it. Chrome plus links, tough to beat. I think if I buy a Chrome box, I can run Linux Mate side by side. Doesn't get any better. Thanks again for a balanced, non-biased assessment of technology for the rest of us. David. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I was reading yesterday about a new uh, or something that's been newly released, I guess. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, and I don't have it up. Your email just reminded me of it. There's a new application you can run from within the Chrome operating system that lets you run uh, Linux applications. It's kind of a virtual machine inside of the Chromebook, uh, the Chrome wow. OS. Yeah, and something that will allow you to take your Chrome OS and run Linux applications on it. So... Interesting stuff. So no, no more having to put it into developer mode and then uh, <laughs> in, installing some magical incantation to get it to <laughs> to install <laughs> install a Linux application that you can boot back and forth from. No, none of that. You just boot up your Chromebook and uh, um, it is um, it, it it sounds promising. I think it's only available on the Chromebook Pixel right now. It's still in development, so it's. Um, 
Uh, I wish I re- remembered the name of it, but uh, you'll you'll find out when they release it. I'm sure. Cool. Yeah. All right. A uh, short one here from Michael, who commented on Discord. And by the way, Discord is the application that we're using to communicate with one another as we record the podcast. So Michael writes, since Discord has gone the way of Skype, 64-bit only, is there a substitute that supports 32 and 64-bit versions? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I uh, don't know either. Yeah, you know, I think that for Linux distributions that support snaps, um, the snap packaging, I think it's hardware independent, architecture independent. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, but I do know that Discord is available as a snap for Ubuntu Mate at least, and it works quite nicely. Um, uh, I don't have the snap installed. I do have the, the, the deb package installed, uh, mm-hmm. but I have installed the snap and it's virtually identical to the deb package. It's, it's got a couple of cosmetic things that are different but uh it works exactly the same and it works well okay so you might you might try that if if the snap is is independent of whether your hardware architecture is 32 and 64 bit well i do know that since we got rid of skype for the most part life has been a lot easier at least it were <laughs> discord yeah works. <laughs> yeah exactly no more problems Oh, wow. Well, well we thanks for the on. email, Michael. Yeah, thanks for the email. He had to say that word Skype is almost as painful as the other one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, our next email comes from Ken, and this is a short one, too. Ken asked about the Linux and the Hamshack podcast. Okay. okay. Uh, quite a few years ago, I purchased the Linux and the Hamshack bootable disk at Dayton. I was looking for a newer version of that disk. Is it available? Is it is if so, is it downloadable? I am unable to attend Dayton this year. Thanks, Ken. Um, so I took Ken's email and um, I forwarded it over to Russ at Linux and the Hamjack podcast <laughs> for him to answer. So uh, Ken, um, wrong podcast. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah, we, yeah. We, we forward it on. And uh, for those interested, Dayton, Ohio is uh, has a, a ham convention, I think, every year. And yeah, um, yeah that's what he's talking about. It's there. a pretty big one from what I understand. Yeah, my, my I've never been that as well. Mm. No, but I've heard about it on the Linux in the Ham Shack podcast. So <laughs> for hams, I think it's a it's a big deal. Anyway, can uh, go listen see if Russ has uh, responded on their show, and maybe he's responded by email by now because I did forward him all your details, including your email address, <laughs> so he could get back to you. I have no idea whether <laughs> they still offer that disk bootable uh, or disk as a uh, as a downloadable version. But um, hopefully you you can get an answer to your question, Ken. Yes. All right. Uh, From two short emails to one very long email, which (laughs) we will split up in order to rest our voices in between. Uh, Thank thank you, Michael, from the UK. He submitted this email and wrote about stores selling Linux computers. So he has a question. 
Um, he won't get to the question until the second half of this email. So uh, <laughs> let's read the rest here at the beginning, and then we'll shift over to you, uh, Bill. Uh, take a break. You're going to need it. Uh, hi, Larry and Bill. Hope you are both well. This is Michael from Meltham, Holmfirth, West Yorkshire in the UK. And the slight, the slight Linux distro hopper who is trying to settle on a Linux distro which is simple to install and use, and which is accessible with Orca. While there seems some doubt on the state of Sonar, someone on the Orca list appeared to recommend me to use Debian, but I'm not sure if that distro is for my level of expertise. So let me comment on that right now. So Sonar is a Linux distribution that I was involved with early on. It is... Um, I was going to say on hiatus. I'm not sure that it's being developed at all anymore. So at this point, I can't continue to recommend it. Orca, for those of you who are new to this, is the screen reading software, free open source screen reading software that's available on Linux distributions. As far as using Debian, um, yeah, Debian is pretty straightforward for most, but I think it's a little too upstream if you... Um, forgive the buzzwords, but it is um, not as user-oriented as some of its derivatives like Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate. So um, you might want to, my recommendation here, bottom line is use Ubuntu Mate because uh, it does the things that you're going to ask for in this email. So continuing with Michael's email, currently I am using Windows 10 on an HP laptop, which Although had the bootloader configured by the RNIB computer volunteer, RNIB is Royal uh, National Institute for the Blind, if I remember correctly. Um, so the RNIB computer volunteer had it configured to boot into Linux. I either didn't get the correct key sequence or cannot get the exact timing to get a Linux DVD or CD to boot into a live session. So... I can install it independently, something which possibly delays a lot of totally blind people from switching over to Linux. I now have access to your podcast on my Android phone, which is the Google Pixel 2, which has the maximum amount of storage for a Pixel 2, 128 gigabytes. So listening to podcasts and downloading lots of episodes is not a problem, which it might have been on my previous two phones, my Moto, 5, my Moto G5 Plus, which I did get someone in the phone shop to expand to 64 gigabytes of storage using an SD card, which was unfortunately stolen by someone claiming to be my girlfriend after a previous girlfriend and her mates leaned on me for money. The female who stole the phone turned out to be a working girl, to put it politely, who turned out to be known to West Yorkshire police for theft and shoplifting, possibly because drugs were involved and she changed her surname so I wouldn't know that she had a criminal record. Wow. Um, yeah, I, no comment, just wow. Um, the other Moto G5, which was a downgrade due to this pleasant young lady stealing off me. I never updated the storage, but I might have been able to do so. Both Moto G5 phones were originally 16 gigabytes, which obviously to me wasn't nearly enough storage for my needs with the amount of applications I run. 
and my podcasts and their episodes. After catching up, I am on the early 300s of your episodes, and that is where I think I found the answer to my question. As you know, in a previous email, I mentioned contacting Linux Emporium about their laptops, only they didn't reply, and I couldn't seem to be able to locate any of their hardware, such as laptops with browsers I have tried. I even tried a few days ago with Firefox and Windows, with me currently stuck with Windows, until I can sort out an accessible Linux distro and boot it from CD. Uh, so <clears throat> let's move on, Bill, to the second okay. half. So just a side note, I have a Google Pixel. I don't have the two, mm -hmm. lucky, lucky right. guy, but it's a great phone. So anyway, continuing with Michael's email, the question I was going to ask you was, is there another supplier in the UK which sells Linux-compatible computers? And, li and listening to episode 304, the answer to my question is obviously yes, because you have mentioned IntroWare. I believe that... For me to really go over to Linux on a full-time basis, I would need to have hardware that is Linux-compatible hardware as well as accessible, easy-to-use distro. I presume that any Linux computer, such as IntroWare, would have computers that would bypass those annoying issues concerning the bootloaders on computers which come with Windows. Obviously, I am not the only blind person having these issues with others, is perhaps more technically minded than me having the same issue, which is certainly down to key sequences. How many arrow downs to boot to the CD, timing the key sequences, or a combination of all of the above? I did hear that earlier episode, which someone called Danny had a similar issue to me, but it perhaps may be that he is more technically minded than me. I seem to come up with the same issue of purchasing a computer from, say, PC World and can't change the boot uh, sequence with the computers being preloaded with Windows in spite of my keen interest in using Linux, either on the current computer I have which has Windows 10 or a separate laptop which is certainly Linux certified or supported. My situation at home is that I live alone and that my immediate family who I live not far from, my mom and dad, at least who live closest, are not exactly supportive of my interest in technology, to put it as politely as I can. They are pure Windows users, regardless of the shortcomings of Windows, like dad losing his contacts when he first used Windows 10, unless <laughs> my sister used it before, which I don't know about. To my knowledge, my dad was the first person in my family to upgrade to Windows 10. If I still have any question at all, would a store such as IntroWare be a better option for me than going to PC World, buying a laptop which only has Windows where I need someone with serious technical skills to hack the bootloader for me just so I can switch to Linux to keep my interest in it and perhaps contribute something back to the Linux community? which I believe I perhaps did once by recommending DVD as perhaps a accessible app when the Orca site still had a list of accessible apps. I may still have that list, although I have noticed that the page might have had changes when I have browsed it with Firefox. All the best, Michael. Wow. 
Yeah. So, uh, Michael, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry to hear about your phones being stolen and all that other stuff. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, go does, ahead. does um, is there any U.S. based ones that will ship to the U.K. that you know of? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably easiest for Michael to uh, go on to the Enterware site and order a laptop there, or even better. As I've said, my recommendation for accessible computing is Ubuntu Mate, um, mainly because for people like Michael who have no site or very little site, it's quite easy to get Ubuntu Mate to begin uh, when it boots up in screen reader mode. Uh, even from the login screen, you can start screen reader mode. And uh, by the way, I've included uh, descriptions of this and how to do this in the Ubuntu Mate guide, which, of course, if you're blind, you can't get to the point where <laughs> without yeah. assistance of, of uh, you know, getting getting to read it. So let me just uh, open it up real quick here and talk about the accessibility section of the, the guide here uh, just for a second. Um, assistive Technologies is turned on by default with Ubuntu Mate. Um, in order to get the screen reader reading uh, when you're at the login screen, so I'm assuming you've got it installed or you've purchased a computer with Ubuntu Mate installed and you're at the login screen, um, really all you have to do is uh, type on the keyboard, hold down the Alt and the Super key. The Super key on a Windows keyboard is the Windows key. Uh, alt and Super key and the letter S. So type all three of those at the same time. And Ubuntu Mate starts read or Orca starts reading, even at the Ubuntu Mate boot screen. So once you're logged in, it continues reading and you can leave it set in that um, in, the, in that mode so that work is working all the time. If you do want to turn it off for whatever reason, uh, you're wanting a conversation with somebody and you don't want it, you know, uh, interrupting or, or whatever, you can just hit Alt-Super-S again and it turns it off. To turn it back on again, Alt-Super-S. Uh, and so there's a lot of documentation on Orca and how to use it and all those good things. But the key thing here is it works from the boot screen, which is not the case with all Linux distributions, even those that do provide Orca out of the box and even those that do support Orca. So um, that's one of the reasons, the main reason why I recommend Ubuntu Mate for uh, blind users. Now, getting back to recommending computer hardware, uh, yes, I think that ordering a computer from Entraware, and I don't think they have a physical shop I could be wrong, but I don't think they have a physical shop where you can go and look at the computers. But they are available online. And in fact, the best place to go for them uh, to ensure that you get the model that's pre-installed with Ubuntu Mate is to go to ubuntu-mate.boutique, B-O-U-T-I-Q-U-E. That takes you to the Ubuntu Mate Boutique shop site where you can take a look at the Entraware computers that are available. There are quite a few available there. Uh, seven on that page that I can see right now that are laptops. And then there's a full-size desktop and a 
chrome box sized one um, kind of a generic uh, mini computer sort of thing and then there's an all-in-one i think it has a touch screen if i remember correctly uh, oh and then there's another full-sized one that might be good for gaming so they have a lot of different versions that are pre-installed with ubuntu mate they sponsor ubuntu mate as well and they start at 529 pounds. I think that's the least expensive one. Yeah, and they go up to 1,299 pounds. Let's see if there's... Oh, here's one for 449 pounds. That's a desktop, though. Um, yeah, so 1,299, 1,300 pounds is, is the most expensive one. So a wide range. Uh, ranging from a 14-inch nice light uh, Orion model through to, you know, a big heavy one that <laughs> is, uh, you know, it re requires a forklift <laughs> or something like that. But lots to suit your taste. Good descriptions on the Ubuntu Mate boutique website. And I think, let's see, there's a link to the IntraWare site right from there. And let me just click on one of these and see what it does for you. So I'm looking at the Ether model here, since that's the first one. Yeah, when you click on it, it takes you to the Enterware site. It takes you to a place where you can configure the options that you want. And you can switch the operating system from Ubuntu 16.04 to Ubuntu Mate. Today, it, it shows Ubuntu Mate 17.10. I think if you wait another week or two, they'll probably have that available in the Ubuntu Mate 18.04 long-term support version, if you want. Uh, so that is my recommendation for the easiest way to get an Ubuntu Mate preloaded software is to go to the Ubuntu Mate boutique and order it from the Enterware folks. Uh, pick the one you want. Michael, hopefully that helps. All right. Hopefully that helps. Yeah. Not not only a long email, but a long answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. Greg provides a tip on Linux maintenance. Hi, Larry and Bill. In episode 330, the question of maintenance in Linux was asked. Since I tinker a lot with old systems, I have learned how to do a few things from the command line. I have stayed with Debian derivatives on my computers, so I know some of the apt package manager commands. My home network server machine runs Ubuntu Server 16.04 long-term support, which defaults to and has no graphical user interface installed. So every morning, my maintenance routine is typed into the terminal as follows. sudo apt-get update, sudo apt-get dist upgrade, sudo apt-get auto-remove, sudo apt-get auto-clean. And that's the... <laughs> list of commands that he runs. The man pages for apt-get explain these in detail, but basically this updates the software package cache, upgrades any packages that have newer versions available, removes old packages that no longer serve any useful purpose, like dependencies that are no longer needed or old kernel versions, and removes old software package versions that are no longer available and are cluttering up your hard drive. Although many distributions have a graphical update, like Linux Mint, some do not, like Bunsen Labs. I have discovered that Linux Mint's update manager doesn't seem to do the auto-remove and auto-clean tasks. 
you do have the capability of manually removing all old installed kernels in the Update Manager from the menu drop-down View, then Linux Kernels. Use that with care. If you delete the running kernel, you could be screwed. <laughs> you might be <laughs> surprised at the cruft that can be removed from Mint by AutoClean. In all honesty, I log into my server terminal as root and do my maintenance without the need to constantly use sudo and my password. But that's living dangerously. If the user doesn't know enough to generate his own root password, he or she should stick to the safety of sudo. Regards, N73 to Bill, Greg, W8FJK. All right. Thanks, Sounds Greg. Like he, uh, he's been doing that for a while. <laughs> he has. He has. Our next email comes from Frank, who provided some feedback on compiling from source. In your recent listener feedback episode, you responded to a listener inquiring as to how to install software from a tar.gz package. You quite correctly instructed him to check the readme or install file in the tarball for instructions and mentioned that the package may need to be compiled from sources. You also commendably pointed out that compiling from source is much easier than the intimidating term would indicate. The missing piece was this. Most distros do not, by default, include kernel headers, GCC libraries, and other sources needed to compile from sources. Slackware does. That's part of what makes it Slackware. Normally, those resources are available in the repos. Users who are trying to compile from sources should be aware that they may need to obtain these resources before they can do so. Unfortunately, trying to identify the resources in a package manager is sometimes confusing. A web search for distro name slash version compile sources will generally point users in the right direction. Then there's the whole thing about identifying and tracking down missing dependencies while the compilation aborts, but that's best left to another day. Thank you for your podcast. I have listened to every episode and find it a valuable and entertaining resource. Wow. Every yeah. episode, Larry. Yes, yes. He gets he gets the 343. award. <laughs> yeah, including this one, 344. Yeah, he 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 is one of the several listeners who have done that that get the reward for it. I um, haven't listened yeah. to them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, catch up then, Bill. Jeez, I'm slacking. <laughs> wow, Frank. Thanks, Frank. That that's actually a great tip about uh, compiling. Um, yeah, compiling is sounds scary in what it is, and so <laughs> it's yeah. once once you do it a couple of times, it's like oh, this is not as bad as I thought. But there's that whole mysticism of I had to compile from source. Yeah, well, it, you know, and what I found is that as you follow the instructions on a package that tells you how to compile something, if you start to compile it and you're missing something like the GCC tools that are required. <laughs> um, the error messages you get in the terminal while you're trying to compile will tell you you're missing this or that or whatever. And you just go into the repos and you get that library or whatever it is they recommend. And sometimes you end up, you know, can't install this because you need this other prerequisite package <laughs> dependency and you end up in dependency hell. It's been a while since I've done that. 
and I have done that that hard way before, but I I see what you're saying, uh, Frank, and I agree. It's uh, if if your version of Linux includes all these packages, so you can compile from source. Great, you're all set and ready to go. If not, then you may need to install some other things before you can get there. And I like your suggestion about a web search um, yeah, and compiling from one. source. Yeah. Okay, David asked about GPS compatibility with Linux. Do you use a hardware GPS thing uh, for your no. vehicle, Bill? No, <laughs> it's on my neither phone. do I. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I use. Okay, so David says, hi, Larry and Bill. I'm thinking of getting a Garmin eTrex 10 GPS device. Do you know if Linux can mount or connect to it? If not sure, can you ask this question in your show? Thanks. Well, I'm not sure, so we're asking the question in the show. <laughs> Are the going Linux minions out there? Uh, and does anyone use a Garmin eTrex uh, 10 GPS device or knows about it? And if you plug one into your Linux computer using USB, I'm assuming... Um, is it, yeah. are you going to be able to mount and program it or whatever it is you need to do? I don't even know what you need to do with those devices. Probably download the latest updates or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we, it, we'll leave it to our minions to come up with an answer there. I'm sure there's somebody minions who, who knows something. Yeah. <laughs> release the minions. Release them. Okay. Yeah. Release the minions. <laughs> All right. So. So thanks for the question, David, and we'll await the response and have it in our next episode if we get one. That's great. Okay. Our next email comes from Serge, who has a suggestion about portable Veracrypt from Emilio from episode 342. I'm sorry if I merged your name. I do that quite frequently. Hello, Larry. Now I don't feel so bad. He didn't put my name on here. So yeah, anyway. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Larry. I think one possibility would be to install Veracrypt on a anti-XMX live USB key with persistence. And he gives us a YouTube link, and I like this link's name, so I'm going to read it. It's uh, www.youtube.com slash user, and my favorite part, run with dolphin <laughs> slash videos. <laughs> and then he includes another um YouTube link, and so you can just check that in the show notes. Yep. And he said, you'll need to look in the YT site mentioned above the appropriate videos. By the way, I helped the MX team to translate some chapters of their manual into French. Best regards, Serge. So thanks, Serge. And I just want to say you forgot my name. But I'll cut you some slack because you did help them translate the manual into French. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Serge. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Okay, and Paul provides a suggestion about AntennaPod. Uh, he says, hi, I use this player. Not had a problem with your latest podcast. The download was slow, but it played okay. Your listener should try and remove the feed he is using and re-add the iTunes search in the app in case he has the wrong feed. I think AntennaPod only plays MP3 format. Paul. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Our next one comes from Michael, who provided listener feedback on listener feedback 342. Hi, Larry. I use AntennaPod, and I've also had issues downloading Going Links podcast. 
Although neither occurs with high frequency, the query to check for new issues fails more frequently than the actual episode download. I was pointed towards the odd version, but it just switched to the MP3 podcast using gpotter.net. This will hopefully avoid future problems. AntennaPod does not allow direct editing the URLs, so I have to delete the podcast and resubscribe to make the switch. Regarding Emilio's query about a portable Veracrypt, their website gives some suggested implementations in their frequently asked questions. The short version is to install Veracrypt in one USB drive partition and your data in another partition, or install a Veracrypt container on the USB drive and then install Veracrypt on the drive but outside the container. If all the drive is being used for is Veracrypt, then a minimal distro such as TinyCore Linux should be sufficient. And it gives us a link to the Veracrypt site with frequent mm-hmm. questions. Thanks for your semi-monthly Linux fix. Cheers, Michael. Yeah, thanks for that suggestion, Michael. Um, and uh, thanks to Bear in the background for the bark in the middle of that. Yes. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there he is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he heard, he heard, he heard me name. say his name. Yes, there you go. Okay. Um, shall we continue on? Yes. Our next email is from Joshua, who asks about file permissions. Hello, I've been a longtime listener of the podcast and be- and have become very comfortable with Linux over the past couple of years, thanks to your podcast, the community, and O'Reilly's books on Bash. One thing I still can't seem to understand is file permissions. My understanding is that whenever a file is accessed, the first permission that's checked is the user, then group, and then other. The first permission it finds you can use is the one you access the file by regardless of what the other two are. Because it's my computer, I can add myself to any group I want to. So, having every file in the home directory's group matching user shouldn't be a problem. The following questions are for files that are in my home directly only, not talking about any other file on the computer. Why do many files in the home directory belong to the root as user, group, or both? Is there any time you can think of where a file in your home directory shouldn't belong to you as a user and group. Do you see any potential problems with changing every file and directory, hidden, normal, or any other way in the home directory to your own user and group name? Any help you can offer is greatly appreciated, and thanks again for the podcast. Joshua. Any thoughts on that, Bill? Uh... I tend not to be moving stuff around because you just don't know what you're going to break. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So first of all, the reason that the file, some files in your home directory belong to root is that some of the programs that you run, applications or other things, are run as root. And mm-hmm. when that that particular program or application creates a file, it's created for the root user. So the root root is the user at that point. And some of those files go into your home directory, configuration files or other files of that sort. So that's why they are there. Uh, In general, anything that's in your home directory, there's very little, if any, risk uh, in switching everything over to you as the user. 
uh, or the group or both. Um, primarily because everything that's in the home directory should be something that's, that's accessible to you anyway. Generally speaking, when a root user is creating something in your home directory, it's meant to be something that is uh, read-only or that kind of thing. But again, because it's in your home directory, there's very little risk that, uh, you know, switching it to something that's read and write, which is what you're doing when you create when you switch the user from root to you. You could break some stuff. You could break some stuff. That's the only thing. Generally speaking, it shouldn't be a problem because it's in your home directory and that's where mm -hmm. stuff that you should be able to access is. Uh, but I, you know, I wouldn't mess around with it. I have had a long time ago, a situation where my home directory got a little bit corrupted uh, permission wise uh, mainly because I was accessing it from somewhere else and it created <laughs> some files and uh, with a different user that wasn't on my main system. And, you know, long story short, I learned from that lesson. But in order to fix it, I just changed every permission in my home directory to me as a user with read-write permission and uh, anything that needed executable, I went in and, and yeah. changed it to executable. And I never had any problems with that ever. Uh, of course, that was only about a year's worth of usage. So, you know, it could be that I never had a problem because I never accessed a file that would cause me a problem in that year. But given that it was a year, uh, yeah. you know, maybe it, maybe there's, uh, it, it, maybe it doesn't show up all that often, quite frankly. So that's personal yeah. experience. Yeah, I, I've moved some files around before. I found out sometimes it will cause little difficulties, things don't look right, or you move something it wasn't and it's trying to find it. I tend to let Linux do it, the housekeeping in the background, yes. and not really yeah. worry about it. Right. Um, That's the and, safest route. Uh, yeah, safest route. Just let Linux put the stuff it wants in root, and there's usually a reason for it. Mm -hmm. And, there, of course, uh, you know, your mileage may vary, but I tend to that kind of stuff, I just kind of let it, let Linux handle it, and uh, and I've never had an issue with it. So it's you know, like I said, your mileage may vary, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Uh, that's what backups are for. Uh, you <laughs> could you could back up everything and then play around with it and see what happens. See if anything breaks. You can try it. Backups. What is this that you speak of? Yeah, I bill, don't know bill, what bill. <laughs> We've talked about this, Bill. <laughs> yes. Yes. After the last time, I uh, totally borked my system. And you're like, hey, just restore from backup. And I'm like, uh, yeah, about that. So, <laughs> yeah. okay, Joshua, let's someday. know uh, if you do play with it. Let's know your experiences. Yep. Our next email comes from This Hosting Rocks, and he provides a resource recommendation. He writes, hey, hey, yeah, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of going Linux. Just wanted to quickly and shamelessly plug my Linux articles that I am sure you'll find useful for your podcast. And I'm not going to read the links. You can look at them in the show notes, but the, some of the titles are best Linux, lightweight Linux distros, best Linux distros for gaming and best Linux laptops. And yep. Danny writes, thanks and keep up the good work. 
Yeah. Okay. So this this email is probably a couple of months old, uh, <sighs> and I have delayed including it in the show just to make sure that this hosting rocks sticks around and that this website that he points to stuck around you know this is a shameless plug after all uh well he but, did say it was a shameless plug yes absolutely uh but i wanted to make sure that he was legit so as far as i can tell he's legit and these these uh recommendations that are here are actually pretty good so really? i've included them because yeah they're quite lengthy articles on recommendations and some of it is uh, information you can get from elsewhere, but it's nicely compiled into a single article in each of these cases, and I found them quite helpful. So we're including them here. Okay. So there you go. All right. Well, I think that's the last of the emails. It is. It is. And our next episode is apt and apt get an aptitude. Oh, my. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> what a yeah. clever title. There we go. Yes, and this is courtesy of one of our minions. Minions, yes. And did we promote we'll, him? Uh, we promoted him to show minion. Uh, yeah, author minion. Okay. He, he wrote minion. up this whole this whole episode, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll introduce uh, him, who's a regular listener. You've already heard his name, but uh, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Anon anonymous minion at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you proper credit next episode. So thanks. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I read through some of the, what he sent us and it looks pretty good. So it looks very uh, good. Yeah. Definitely give him credit and props. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.